zip lock that Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper. The absolute truth, yeah, no joke. Ladies and gentlemen, TC here. Welcome back to another perfect club, Trap Draw Perfect Club. This is uh, this is kind of a holiday themed perfect club. But before we get to what our subject is, uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Roback. You guys have heard Solly, Randy talk about it. Best feel. Best fit. We are deep into fall, approaching the holiday season, and Roback is ready. Uh, we actually got a fresh restock into our pro shop. Uh, we'll see if anything's actually left this week for it. But uh, they've got restocks of uh, favorite polos, hoodies, Q-zips. Trust us when we say there's no better gear for the remainder of fall golf. I'm probably talking about spring golf at this point. Uh, the fit, the feel, the fabric, quality, it's all perfect. Uh, they've got their new performance cruise, so soft, so comfortable, so stretchy, lightweight, and uh, they're, I do not have to tell you guys about their, their performance polos, their performance hoodies, all that. So head on over to Roback.com, that's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com for a generous 20% off your first order. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com, 20% off, that's code N-L-U to get that 20% off. So we thank them for their support all year. And uh, now I'd like to introduce my my co-host today, uh, Mr. Kevin Van Valkenburg. KVV, how are we? TC, it's great to see you. I you know I'm a big Christmas guy. I've been dying to do a Christmas episode of Perfect Club, and you were you were really uh, just up for you know humoring me on this. And I think we we have a a pretty good fun topic here. Uh, but I think I would love to introduce our third guest here, making her Perfect Club debut. <laughs> Uh, it's Claire Rogers, a social media manager for golf.com. Claire, how are you? Hi, guys. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited Thanks for, for being here. Claire, we have been uh, itching behind the scenes to get you on a perfect club. Uh, probably, I mean, I, I don't think I, I'm st- overstepping this. Maybe the funniest person on golf Twitter. Uh, I mean, I know it's like, uh, it's, a, it's not the like strongest distinction, golf Twitter being such a place of weirdos and misfits, uh, but uh Certainly, Claire, you rank amongst the top. How is your holiday season going, Claire? Um, it, I feel like it hasn't really started yet because I haven't been like home to my parents' house. I feel like kind of that's when it'll start for me. Mm-hmm. I have a big family. So once we're all home, which will be – I'm going to the PNC next week or this upcoming week, I guess. And then from there, I'm going to Rhode Island, which I think that's when yeah. it's really going to start. So Okay. And how much, for, uh, Claire, for the record, how many cousins do you have? I saw you <laughs> – like I follow you on Instagram. <laughs> I've seen hundreds of people in this family. Yes. I saw you tweeting about it the other day. Somebody was like, oh, you know, 30, 30 cousins. That's cute. Like, How many do you have? Yeah. Okay. So my mom's one of 10 and my dad's one of seven. Wow. And so there are 28 grandkids on my mom's side and 19 on my dad's side. So there's, I don't know what that math is, but there is a lot of us. And then, you know, the older one, a lot of us them have gotten married and had kids. So, um, but the youngest, well, I have a stepsister who's in sixth grade, so it goes way down. And then the oldest is almost 40. So there's a okay. massive spread. <laughs> this is incredible. Claire, have you ever yeah. tried to take all these people to France for, uh, for Christmas vacation? <laughs> no, but I honestly think that we would have left more than one person behind. So, <laughs> you know what, KBB? I didn't even think about that as the transition, as the segue. <laughs> it was brilliant. Well, thanks, TC. I appreciate that. I'm getting started to get the hang of this perfect club thing. If you don't know by now, if you haven't, 
seen the the episode title we are talking about home alone one of the truly great christmas films uh, i think ever made uh home alone was i uh, came out in 1990 uh claire what year were you born 95 okay lisa came oh. out before you were born thank god it was <laughs> starting to make me especially feel old uh home alone was written by the great john hughes uh directed by also uh sort of famed director christopher columbus uh i just looking up here home alone how much would you guess he see that home alone made uh in the in, in the theaters in theaters oh gosh this was back when you had to go to the theater to watch a movie that's correct yeah uh i would say we're, and we're not talking inflation adjusted here we're not talking inflation adjusted so i would say 70 million dollars Oh, $70 million. A lot more than that. Claire, uh, I give you a tip. Can you guess, uh, unless you can see it in the agenda, how much did Home Alone make to gross? Was it like $140 million or something? $467 million, <laughs> A John Rom sized contract that uh, Home Alone made. That's so much money. And that's that's not adjusted for inflation. That is not that adjusted is- for inflation. Uh, it was the highest grossing live action comedy ever made until The Hangover 3 beat it. Uh, which I had no clue that not only that The Hangover 3 was that popular, but that Home Alone was this for a while. And which is interesting, I, I just looking up the research for this, uh, Warner Brothers was the original financier of Home Alone, and they ducked out. Uh, after it was growing too expensive. That uh, Basically, Chris Columbus was just blowing through the budget. Uh, and then so 20th Century Fox had to step in and, and certainly reaped the benefits of that, I'm sure. Going back in time, uh, maybe like Jay Monahan, that like they'd like to have a do-over and uh, <laughs> you know call in the early financiers, guys. Uh, I like, this is I feel like uh, King King uh, uh, the King and Queen of Spain kind of said the same thing to the other Christopher Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to have a do-over. So, hey, this we... thing's this thing's out of, out of line out of here. Way too much budget. Uh, just yeah. for references' sake, too, I looked up Home Alone two, grossed three hundred and fifty-nine million dollars. Okay, so. Kind of amazing that the first one grossed more. I think, and I don't, this is one of those things that could be memory uh, just being distorted by time, but I think I saw it in the theaters. Uh, It would make sense that I did. I would have been about 12, 13 years old uh, at this moment. So I'm not that much uh, different in age than Macaulay Culkin, which is a little frightening. But guys, you know, when do you remember seeing Home Alone? I, I, TC, let's start with you. What, what's what uh, Home Alone? When did it come into your life? You know what? That's a great question because I'm not really sure. Like, there's certain movies that are like seminal movies. Like, like I remember, I remember when I saw The Rock, right? And my dad took me to see The Rock, and I was like, I don't know, maybe 12. And uh, you know, it was rated R, and I was 12, and I was like, I'm going to see an R-rated movie. But like, I do not remember seeing Home Alone in the theater or when the first time I saw it, I remember seeing home alone two in the theater, but I do not remember the first time I saw home alone. I just, I think my, my indelible memory from home alone is the aftershave scene where I remember running around the house, doing that in front of the mirror, doing the tarantula scene, all that stuff. So, but, but as far as I think I was like four when it came out. So it was probably more of like a VHS kind of thing for me. Gotcha. Claire, your thoughts? When do you remember Home Alone coming here? I don't remember. Also, don't remember the first time, but I watch it every Christmas Eve with my family. So I, it's got to be when I was super little, like okay. four or five, I would think. So I would say, what what is the reason you guys think this film has held up over the years? Claire, I'm going to kick this to you first. Like, what's what what makes your family want to sit down and, and bang it? Other than, of course, it's similar size uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> There's so many different things. Like my older brother is obsessed with the house. I don't know why. He mm. loves looking up the house. But yeah, I don't know. There was 
how much it was sold for last. There was like an Airbnb situation where you could rent out. Oh, he really? is fixated <laughs> on this house. Whereas, and I was just texting my family. I was like, what, what's everyone's favorite scene? My dad loves like the uh, cheapskate thing with the, he thinks the uncle is hilarious. Like yes. uh, when uncle the guy, yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, my brother has the bill. It's his house. Um, I just think there are so many scenes that, and I didn't realize this guy had like written a ton of other movies. I had, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that until I looked up, but I think just the one liners that can that carry over and it's not just one scene that people like you could ask 10 people and they made all of different favorite scenes so the whole thing is just very quotable and funny and it's a feel-good movie too even though mm -hmm. it gets a little so tc any any sort of ad comment that why, why do you think it's held up like claire said there's just so many layers to it there's so many little easter eggs like like the 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 uh, little Nero's pizza delivery guy, mm -hmm. like one of my favorite, just the way that he delivers that too. It's little Nero's, sir. I have your pizza, and he and he keeps <laughs> knocking over the statue and like the the. I mean, shit. I love the like that that opening scene where Joe Pesci's there, kind of in front of the the staircase, and everybody's walking around. It just captures the the madness of the holidays so well, and then. Mm -hmm. It kind of ebbs and flows and it does all this stuff that like it makes you feel like you're a kid again, even if you're, mm. you know, I'm in my late 30s at this point. And, you know, all the hijinks uh, and I loved Home Alone, too, as well. I still feel that way. Like, like, like before I go or after I go to New York every single time I come back and like I watch Home Alone, too, because it's just like the the world famous ding, dang, dong and all the you know, there's just so many little layers where it takes me back to this moment in time you so. recreate that scene in in uh, trump tower there with uh, dt walking <laughs> exactly. by I, I was just walking by trump tower uh, yesterday it's uh you know I, I didn't i didn't make that connection until just now but my goodness i could have ducked in there and done it guys uh what do you think like makes john hughes movies uh, you know sort of the connective tissue between them or why what made john hughes such a great writer if uh, anybody doesn't sort of aware, like John Hughes, uh, seminal uh, sort of director, writer of the 80s classics, like Pretty in Pink, uh, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, you know, Uncle Buck, uh, you know, 16 Candles. Uh, I, I guess, you know, this is probably, I wouldn't say, you know, this isn't, he didn't direct this one. I, I would sort of pick Ferris Bueller's Day Off as my favorite John Hughes movie. But um, I'm kind of curious, you know, what other kind of things you think that, that are sort of related to this movie that, that can be seen echoed in Hughes's other work. Good question. I think uh, like hand up. I've never seen 16 candles. I've never seen the mm -hmm. breakfast club. I love planes, trains and automobiles. It's one of my favorite yes. movies. And then, you know, like even Beethoven, like he wrote Beethoven. Yeah. Beethoven's a yeah. great movie. And like there, there's mm -hmm. such indelible scenes. Like when the, when that tray full of needles, like flies through the air and lands on the guy's chest like there's just mm -hmm. such a there's something about that now i will say i think we have to detract from john hughes because home alone three was god awful mm -hmm. just atrocious and i guess he okay. wrote that as well uh but he did dennis the menace miracle on 34th street 101 dalmatians uh you know all sorts of stuff there so and the national lampoons christmas vacation and european That's vacation right. which mm -hmm. I think the guy had a, a really you know, good grasp of the holidays, like what makes the mm -hmm. holidays fun, what makes them not fun, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and then also it just seems like there's, they're really well cast too mm -hmm. with planes, trains and automobiles, even with, you know, Home Alone, talk, like think of John Candy or, 
you know, Marvin Harry, like they're just, they're, they're, they're perfect kind of compliments to the script itself. I love John Candy. First of all, one of my like all-time favorite actors. I was thinking about this. It's my own question, but I think it's the idea that you know family is sort of a, a little bit of a nebulous thing. Like that, you you sort of pick people up around the holidays, you sort of care for each other. That your um, connections with other people can sort of be more meaningful than just you know transitory like work relationships, or you know you can can meet someone and they can come to mean like in planes, trains, automobiles, like a much larger purpose whether it's you know kevin and old man marley in the in, in the church scene in this or the, they, they can sort of change your life for the good and that's sort of a, an uplifting you know feel good thing and that's why i think it sort of resonates for people over time all right let's get into the meat of this uh as we all probably if you're listening i hope you know the plot to home alone but essentially the McAllisters are headed off to france for a christmas vacation and because of uh, basically Kevin's, either Kevin's misbehavior or their own selfishness, they leave Kevin behind. Uh, for some reason, he's forced to sleep in the attic of the house. Uh, there's a full bedroom up there, plus all kinds of stuff. I want to ask you guys later whether you think the McAllisters are hoarders. But uh, Kevin gets left behind. They race to the airport. And while their, their parents are on the plane sitting in first class, up where TC and the rest of C-Suite sits. <laughs> uh, they realize they have left Kevin at home. On American Airlines. On oh, American? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, that, you would, you, I think you would have a lot to say about the fact that America couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't get them a phone call from the, over the Atlantic somewhere to rectify this situation right away. But I'm wondering, guys, who is most responsible for leaving Kevin behind? I'm going to turn this over to you guys. I think the parents. It's got to okay. always be the parents first, right? And I know it was okay. the sister who was head tapping, but you have to, it's got to go to the adults. And then okay. second would be the aunt and uncle, I think. DC? I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say it's, it, it's that pesky little neighbor. Pesky <laughs> neighbor boy. Okay. I tried to look up his name, couldn't remember it, couldn't find it. So, yeah. Or the, you know, or the power company. Mm. right at some point the power goes off i feel like the you know the, i think this day and age the McAllisters probably would have it out of a generator yes there but they didn't have a generator you know so power goes off they're in a hurry all that stuff but you know if the kid's not rummaging through the luggage in the back of the the van there the, you know the, the uh, airport shuttle none of this happens right just like in home alone too like if the if the uh gate agent at the airport doesn't just wave them all through like the, like a you know typical american airlines uh you know employee negligent then you know none of that happens right there. so it's you know it's such a cascading uh thing of of you know uh faults that you know leads back to this but i feel like that kid just just totally uh that was that was the moment when it should have been caught and it wasn't I think that the most fall, most likely falls with Kate McAllister. Uh, she did send Kevin up to his room. <laughs> I, I think that Peter McAllister shares a significant amount of blame. He seems to care much less about his children than than Kate does. I mean, he's the one who throws away Kevin's ticket. Uh, he's the one who's basically like, "Well, I'll just stay in France." Uh, you know, you figure this out. And I, I think Pete McAllister might be a bad guy. TC, I, I'm not sure. I mean, this is this might be a sick individual that we're dealing with here. So a couple of years ago, uh, Spencer Hall. I think it was Spencer. It was either Spencer or Holly wrote this this whole thing. It's called A Unified Theory of Home Alone is the Story of White Collar Crime. Oh. 
on their uh, channel six thing. And more. that was very much, yeah, that was very much like it goes through all the, you know, where the family wealth comes from, uh, how much the house is worth, but you never actually know what he does, <laughs> all this stuff. I, he's saying that he thinks he's a day trader basically. Mm. And, uh, you know, and then he goes on to talk about all the, you know, the, like the, th- the two or three people that he knows that are day traders are also involved in a bunch of other scams, you know, it, like this day and age, Kevin McCall or Peter McAllister, the father would probably be wrapped up into crypto yeah, stuff like crypto that. Guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be like though, like a tournament director TC for like, you know, something up <laughs> five farms, maybe, uh, something up there, you know, I don't know the, the live guys. What I, what, I mean, <laughs> Peter McAllister's got to have his his toe dipped in golf somehow, I would think. Well, and it's it's kind of weird too. Like they're going to Paris for Christmas, right? Mm. Who's paying for forty people to go to Paris for Christmas? <laughs> you know, and uh, it's just the I don't know. It's, it's strange. The whole thing's strange. I was thinking some sort of investment banker or something, some, mm-hmm. like super busy, not home a lot, but then during the holidays can be like, all right, we're all going here. Okay. Possibly using, possibly using speed to keep his stay awake during the yeah, trading, yeah. investing, <laughs> and such. Okay. Well, after you know the the parents leave, Kevin is set free. Uh, obviously, he's been oppressed much of his life. You know, beat down by the sort of draconian rules of his family. Once he's set free and and wakes up, he runs around the house like a maniac, uh, living kind of every eight year old child's dream. Do you guys think that Kevin ever participated in any like competitive sports? Because he does not appear to know how to run. Like he, his hands flail about <laughs> above his head uh, as though he was sort of like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, just just completely lost uh, in terms of coordination. What, what do you think Kevin did in terms of youth sports? That's a great question. Uh, that said, like he, he does well on the sled coming down True. the True. stairs. He's got some like he's got some gumption to him. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, that's a great question. I could, you know, it's so, so we're in Chicago here, right. Mm-hmm. Which funny story. I was actually, my parents lived like mere blocks from this house. Ah, uh, I was born in Wilmette. Your house could have uh, been targeted. In <laughs> exactly. Possibly. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah. I mean, Spencer <laughs> Hall also said the wet bandits knew that Peter McAllister couldn't call the cops with ease. He had to, uh, you know, cause he might've been tied into all sorts of, funny business. He might've been going to Paris cause you know, they have a very loose extradition treaty with the United States. But, uh, but anyway, um, so Chicago, you know, Tony North side of Chicago, you got to think, all right, possibly some lacrosse, uh, oh. may, maybe hockey, you know, so you don't, you don't really run in hockey, you know, that, that could be part yeah. of it. Needed need something thinking, like a stick to weigh him down. <laughs> yeah. I was Claire, thinking youth thoughts? soccer. Okay. Because have you ever been to like four and five year olds playing youth soccer? They're so bad, <laughs> and they're not. I mean, obviously, they're not coordinated yet. So that's enough to get you into the sport, but you don't have to be good at it. Yeah, and it, what, that makes sense. Because so, how old is Kevin? Eight. He's eight. Yeah, and he's what okay. the youngest of five. The parents don't mm-hmm. want to do early morning hockey anymore. They don't want to do all, <laughs> sitting at a pool for a swim meet all day. They're like perfectly we'll in and out of there in an hour. And that's yeah. all he's ever done. You know, that makes sense because he does have incredible stamina for running later in the yeah. film where he's running from the cops, he's running from the the, the wet bandits. Uh, obviously. He's running, yeah. He might have a young striker. Jimmy, shoplifter. That's right. Uh, guys, a, a key thing here, I've just been bugging me ever since I rewatched the film. 
why do the McAllisters have so many mannequins? Like yeah. I, that's a way the, the mannequin budget in the McAllister house seems enormous. The the mom must have worked in like retail or something, right? But why would she have them on her house? That part doesn't make sense. I, I yeah, look, I feel like she's got to be like she, she had to have been in retail at some point because she's got yeah. the dangly earrings that which we'll get to that lady at the airport and she like she might be the the most soulless craven person in the whole film but yeah there's there's all sorts of you know there's 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 the mannequins there's the wigs there's the like like it's crazy how much shit is in that house i think it's possible that callister's like just roam estate sales and just like hoard <laughs> more shit like all around chicago just yeah we'll just fit it in our massive basement like tar paint cans whatever like just stuff it in there <laughs> Oh, all right, guys. What is the TC? You mentioned the aftershave scene. I think that's kind of the most, you know, memorable, memeable scene from the film. Uh, it, it's really stuck with me. I think it it might have terrified young men of our age out of ever using aftershave because I think it seemed like such a painful experience. Certainly, when I saw this film, I was not yet shaving. Uh, did the sort of ripple effects of this affect aftershave sales for another, you know, twenty five years? I think if anything, it, it kind of did the opposite for me. Like I, really. I, my dad didn't wear aftershave, but I remember I had an uncle who, you know, we were, we were on vacation somewhere and he had aftershave in the bathroom. And I remember like seeking it out, putting it on and, and then, you know, recreating that kind of, and I thought it was going to hurt a lot worse than it did, honestly. It certainly made it seem like it hurt, uh, you know, but I just avoided it for many years. I don't think I tried aftershave until I was in college because of this film. I remember being so scared of that I and mean, be like thank gosh i'm a girl i never want to have to deal with that pain because <laughs> i was yeah i was definitely scared of it after seeing that i think it must have it made it seem like it burned like acid like it was some sort of you know, yeah. medieval torture thing uh all right guys what are the chances that buzz uh as an adult is serving time in prison like 78 80 percent like it, buzz seems like a, a truly like uh, a psychopath uh, I think Buzz, yeah, Buzz probably, I can't put my finger on like what it is or he's just, he's really, really just depraved and he has no empathy for others. Mm. And, you know, like that's, that's the thing that sticks with me the most out of that first kind of opening stanza there is the, like the antipathy with which Kevin is treated. Like when, you know, they call him a disease, uh, you're what the French call les incompetents, mm -hmm. the, the whole like, you know, Fuller gets his face <laughs> stuck against the chair there, the milk goes everywhere, the Pepsi goes everywhere, it's crazy. But, but through all that, everybody just blames Kevin. And it's so like, I don't think it's, I feel like Buzz is almost a reflection of the family at large, you know, Buzz mm -hmm. is so buzz may have like may may get his shit together later on because buzz could just be peter's you know like the the spitting image of peter at the same age mm. right it's possible that peter has like been abusive all you know emotionally <laughs> yeah. perhaps physically like throughout time and then he's just rolling downhill that it's all they, they feel it's their duty the McAllisters, to treat the youngest as though they were treated uh, growing up exactly yeah i think he i hope he turned it around but he was just so mean and i guess at the mm -hmm. end of each movie he had like one line to kind of be like all right kevin i oh you're kid, kid. I what does he say at the end of this yeah. one uh, 
you're okay kid or something or you're pretty cool yeah you're pretty cool that's not yeah and that definitely means like so much to kevin which is so sad to get you know have your brother accept you for four seconds but yeah i hope he turned it around but i i don't know i could see him like getting kicked out of high school or something like that. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing at the end of Home Alone 2, where, you know, Kevin gets all those presents from Duncan's toy chest at the end. And, you know, that's the only reason that they're all happy with him and everything. They're, you know, otherwise it's like, you know, oh, like Kevin, like you're not bringing anything to the table here. Um, Which, you know, going to college with a bunch bunch of people from New Trier, Loyola, you know, those, those Mm -hmm. high schools on the Tony North side of Chicago, Mm -hmm. you know, I know some people like buzz from that area. Mm -hmm. So a buzz definitely was in a disciplinary uh, hearings at, at, you know, Northwestern or wherever he ended up. uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Buzz Buzz might've been one of the ones doing the hazing at Northwestern. Very much so. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Peter would have had to give a lot of money to Northwestern, I would think, for Buzz to get admitted. <laughs> he doesn't seem like the most studious person, but uh, you know, Peter has clearly has a lot of money, although not enough to spring the whole family for first class to France. It seems you know that was uh, you know a choice clearly to to send the kids back into coach. Uh, all right, speaking, speaking of, of Buzz, Buzz's, yeah, real quick, I just always one thing that always stuck with me was Buzz's like little box of goodies there, whether it's the you know the the baseball cards or the you know the firecrackers in there he's got his tarantula like that whole that whole wall of just stuff i'm like man like that's what i'm gonna have when i when i grow up to be 13 14 15 like i'm just gonna have this whole wall of like illegal just outrageous contraband shit you know uh, claire did any of your brothers have outrageous contraband things or um no, they're like pretty well behaved. We didn't really oh. get into it. I know. One thing was not allowed in the house, peanut butter, because two of my siblings are very allergic. So gotcha. that was what you'd get in trouble for if you brought into the house, Secret. which is pretty boring. Secret so. peanut butter stash. You get it. Okay. Uh, speaking of Buzz, uh, is there any way that Buzz would really have like an Isaiah Thomas and a Michael Jordan poster in his room? Those seem to be... Uh, you know, kind of sharks and jets scenarios or live in PGA tour scenarios. You kind of got to be a fan of one or the other, right? I mean, I know Isaiah's from Chicago, but it seems, uh, it seems like a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. I never thought about that. That's, that's, I didn't think about it until I saw Isaiah defending himself on Twitter for this very thing that someone made this claim. And Isaiah <laughs> was like, listen, like I, I am a Chicago guy through and through. So do you think if this movie was made today that it would be, like, would they set this in Chicago still? Be, you know, and you wouldn't really have the same kind of cultural, you know, the Bulls. Uh, I can't remember if there's a Bears reference in there at all. Don't think so, but uh, I don't know. Claire, how would this film play if it was set in Boston or Rhode Island? Oh, Boston would be good. Like South Boston. Yeah. A yeah. bunch of like townies kind of. The kid wouldn't last too long, I don't think. Though it would be—he'd be in danger going outside at night, I think. But um, I'm trying to think if it were like today, it would just—they would have to like do no cell phones and everything because everyone'd be like, yeah. "Why don't they? Why doesn't he just pick up a cell phone? Why doesn't he just?" Yeah. So I don't know. Rhode Island, it would probably be—I don't know. It's not as like the houses aren't as cool as the one that they had in Chicago. I think Chicago's yeah. really, and you need somewhere where it's going to look like Christmas at Christmas time. It can't be in like mm. Palm beach or something. Right, right. Oh, well, I feel like Boston, it's very much a, uh, 
like it probably would have been in like Newton. Yeah. Or, Brookline. You know, Brookline, somewhere Tom like that. Tom Brady's old house. They'd have had it there. Exactly. That's where they would have lived. <laughs> exactly. I, I kind of want to someday compile like a list of all the art that couldn't happen now as a result of cell phones. Uh, that just the plots would be completely uh, eliminated and it would seem like Home Alone would rank very high on the list. Totally. Hey, real quick, wanted to shout out our other sponsor for today's podcast, and that is Precision Pro Golf. They've been working with us for quite a few years now, and they've got some awesome new year for the course. Perfect for holiday presents if you're still in the market for a friend, family member, or yourself. Uh, obviously, you've got their their award-winning range finders. The NX10 is, is an absolute workhorse in my bag. Got the no-laying-up skin that you can do on top of that. But uh, I would also like to shout out their Duo Golf Speaker, which delivers high-quality audio, audible GPS distances, a built-in magnet, and a carabiner clip for walkers. And, of course, it has the iconic Wayward Drive logo on the grill. It's the perfect gift for the golfer in your life this holiday season. Uh, I would say go to precisionprogolf.com slash NLU. Again, that's precisionprogolf.com slash NLU and use code no laying up for $20 off your NX10 rangefinder. Uh, I think that code right now is actually on there totally during the holiday season. I don't even know if you need to use the code. PrecisionProGolf.com slash NLU will take you to that landing page. And they stand behind their products, 90-day money-back guarantee, free batteries for the life of the product, etc. You know the deal. If you don't have a Precision Pro rangefinder at this point, I don't know what to tell you. We've been talking about them for four or five years now. All right, guys, what's the like retirement age for suburban cops in Chicago? Because like they don't exactly seem to be like a model of, of fitness. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to chase Kevin for for taking a, a what a two dollar toothbrush uh, and he evades them like he's Barry Sanders, uh, like a young Barry. What, you know, what's going on here, TC, with the with the cops? I would say on the cops front, we got to start with Officer Balzac, right? Mm. Yeah. Who's the one that's, you know, eating the donut there and, and he's like, hey, like, what do you like? You, wait, so let me get this straight. You want to send someone over to your house to check on him? And the lady's like, you know, tapping on the window. She's like, hey, I got the crazy mom on line, line one again. And, you know, they keep going back and forth. So that's that's like more concerning than anything. It's true. I think. It's yeah. just the. The lack of uh, the lack of give a shit there, you know, they're yeah. they're worried about the wrong stuff, right? Well, they were too busy looking for the wet bandits. They had been they said at yeah. the end of the film, we've been looking for you guys for quite a while. So, <laughs> Claire, give me th- what do you think? How do you think Harry and Marv turned to a life of crime? I was thinking about this, and did you ever see Wicked? Yes, it gives us the backstory of yes. Alphaba. Mm-hmm. That would be so good to have for these two. Agree. Because I'm like, something went very wrong in childhood or something where they, I don't know, ended up feeling like they needed to do this. And I, yeah, it was also very personal with Kevin, right? You see in the second one, they're like yeah. out there. What they say, like, we hope your parents got you a tombstone. Like They wanted yeah. this kid dead, which is insane. <laughs> um, like, just take the stuff and leave. That should be how it is. But they're after this little kid. But yeah, I think we need a backstory movie on these guys because- that would just, I don't know, wicked. People are obsessed with it. So that would mm-hmm. be awesome for this situation with these two. But I think something went wrong in childhood. Maybe they were like Kevin. Mm. Just treated the, horribly the, by their family. Beaten on by their siblings. Maybe it was like Buzz. Or Buzz, right? yeah. Hey. 
Maybe that should have been a good connective tissue to home loans. Is that Buzz should have been like a criminal down the road and then yeah. trying to rob houses. You know, that one thing that struck me is like the McAllisters don't really have anything that looks like super expensive in their house. You know, I, I don't know if they they buried their gold in the backyard if they're TC they're <laughs> they're into you know crypto or some version of crypto where you can't quite get the the, the stuff, but. They, all they got is like a bunch of shitty vases, you know, and there's there's nothing yeah. really for them to steal. It's because the McAllisters are hoarders. That's true. I, I you know, the McAllisters feel very uh, kind of old money, too. They've got, yeah. you know, I bet they've got stock certificates, like, you know, class A stock and like standard oil, stuff like that. I, I think my favorite, I can't remember if it's in one or two, when he says, Sandy, don't visit the funeral home, little buddy. <laughs> That's, I think it's in two. <laughs> too yeah that that like that one always sticks with me i, I say that i say that to freddie sometimes <laughs> like, if, he, if he gets out of line or whatever but yeah also i just realized that that kieran culkin is fuller yes i had no idea oh. like, that just that oh really just it's just on here yes the kieran blew of, my mind of the culkin boys uh you know grew up grew up to be uh you know roman roy uh which always makes me laugh sometimes you see that on twitter where someone will make that shoot that shot of him drinking the pepsi and be like and you know this person grew up to run the, the Roy, waystar royco thing so <laughs> are the web bandits are they good criminals i mean it seems like maybe not like even before we see him gonna get foiled by the mccall by kevin like I, I can't really get over merv just like basically like knocking you know smashing things up in a house aren't you wouldn't you think as a criminal you're supposed to like be quiet like you know, act surreptitiously in homes. Yeah. And then, well, I know they're the wet bandits, but like shoving something in the sink and making it, they're just there to make a mess. They're calling steal anything. Yeah. <laughs> but they just make a mess. And if you're trying to steal something and this kid is there, just go to a different house. Don't you think? Yeah. They seem very, it took it very personal that they couldn't get to the McCosh's house. I, mean, <laughs> I it, think they it, wanted to be murderers more than criminals, <laughs> like more than like people who steal things because they wanted to kill Kevin. Like Marv's not a very good criminal. I feel like Harry, no. like Harry kind of has the ingredients to be when he seems a little bit more focused, a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit less gullible. Marv seems yeah. a little bit more driven by by animosity and just personal slights and stuff. And, and also because Marv is constantly falling into the traps, whereas Harry, mm-hmm. you know, Harry kind of whether it's you know the doorknob or, or you know testing stuff out or like he's he's kind of trying to be one step ahead. Yeah. Um, but, but Claire, I'm right with you as far as like, just how careless it was to, you know, to leave their signature, like the, the wet bandits or the sticky bandits on, in, uh, Home Alone 2 of, you know, just telling the cops like, Hey, this is like, we're the same criminals that did this. And like, I always felt so bad for those people, for the neighbors. Yeah. That had, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, all that water What's damage, that? you, you yeah. know, like shout out to serve pro, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the, the water is just gushing down the stairs. Oh, yeah. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, they definitely uh, – I think, like, that's a good – pretty good evidence that they actually wanted to be, like, serial killers as opposed to, uh, you know, just criminals because that's what serial killers do is leave their yeah. sort of mark, you know. So I think we may have uncracked uh, something here with that. So how many – TC, you brought this up before, our pizza guy. Uh, how many people in Chicago are run down every year by the uh, little Nero's trying to meet their <laughs> 20 minutes or I pay you tagline? <laughs> Oh, that's like, I love that they went with like this kind of local, you know, whatever, like it, it, like it's not a chain, it's not Domino's, but it's it like the guy, they just, that is the perfect 
pizza delivery driver who's just like, oh, look, I got your yeah, pizza, yeah. sir. You know, and then you know, and like it's such a good callback too because in that first scene where he's he's like, hey, who's who's in charge around here? And and uh, you know, Harry's just standing there like dressed up as the cop, which was great in and of itself. And they're like, you know, I have no idea. And then you know, somebody ends up coming by. I think Peter, and he's like, oh, here's the you know, here's the wad of cash for these 25 pizzas or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I think the, uh, the, the pizza thing is, I almost feel like they could have tied it in a little bit more, like had the little Nero's guy, you know, be, be a witness later on or be, you know, pull up when Kevin orders another pizza. Cause Kevin does that whole like, like macaroni and cheese scene before he's about to, you know, have the big night and, you know, and like that's the thing where he's and then he blows out the candles and he doesn't even get to eat his mac and cheese. But I feel like he probably should have just ordered pizza that night too, right? Claire, did you did your family have a place they would order pizza from significantly? In, in, well, yeah, in that, there's a place Uncle Tony's that we always okay. go to. I think that those things are what make the movie so good. It's such a normal thing. Like everyone has that, and then they take it to a, the next level with him like hitting the thing and calling him a cheapskate and stuff. But yeah, I think it's. I love that they didn't go with anything. Also, Domino's around here takes literally two hours. So I think 20 minutes is insane. To get. <laughs> 20 minutes is so fast. Two hours is way too long. We've stopped ordering. But um, yeah, 20 minutes or I pay you is so good. I love just when he hits the thing in the front. Yeah. It's so classic. And that's such like a teenager. Just got his license. He's like, sick. I'll deliver pizzas. I can listen to the radio when I'm driving and just is horrible at it so uncle tony's in in rhode island is that's that's right on the nose there. oh it's so good so <laughs> scotty scheffler we there was this there's this golf tournament that when they're amateurs they play it and he i think he went there like five nights in a row it was just you the most and it's not it's not spectacular it's just pizza and pasta and it but you go in and it feels like you're sitting in your grandmother's living room which is so funny so I, he needs to, Rory needs to get on this. Maybe that's why oh, you know, he doesn't want any majors. He's waiting two hours for Domino's pizza yeah. to show up all the time. He'd feel Cold. more rested. Yeah. yeah. Disgraceful. Rory, if you're listening, which I know you might be, uh, <laughs> check out Uncle Tony's in the future. <laughs> oh, I, the other thing I wanted to say about the pizza guy, why did the pizza guy not call the police after he, he thought that someone was gunned, like firing a Tommy gun at him out through the window? I mean, he must I've have never been really thought about stoked. that before. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I guess oh, it's like, like 16. Gotta be, yeah, 16, 17, somewhere in there. Yeah, he's gotta be like probably dealing drugs on the side or something. Yeah, right. And he's trying to go hang out with his friends after. He just wants to be done with it. Dude, you'll never believe what happened. <laughs> yeah. He just got absolutely somebody <laughs> just shot all up at me. Maybe. How did Kevin learn how to do laundry? Uh, Cause like, I mean, how old were you guys when you learned to do laundry? Cause like, no lie. I mean, I, I, I did learn, I think like late in high school, but that was like high school. There's no way I would have learned how to known at all how to do laundry when I was eight years old. Eight's really young. Uh, and, and, you know, this is back before they had like the condensed detergent, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to pour a shitload of detergent in there. Sure. Just like the little high efficiency, little dab of detergent. Um, and like the fact that he knows to buy detergent too. Like, did they not have any detergent at home? When, because that was one of the reasons that the shopping bag splits open on his walk, walk right. home. Yeah. You know, like it's just impressive all around. He's, he's, he's mature beyond his years. You didn't answer my question though. When did you guys learn how to do laundry? 
Seventh uh, this is kind of a weird one. Yeah. So I, I was super, super anal about my clothes and uh-huh. my mom was like a really bad folder. I, I, I hate to air my mom out. I aired my wife out <laughs> last sorry, week's thanks. trap draw. She's all pissed at me for the Christmas lights debacle. Uh, Claire, we had, we had somebody uh, professionally do our Christmas lights in the front of our house. And I, I, oh. I was not, I was not happy about it. I, I said that, well, we are not those kind of people, Alex. You wanted to do it yourself? Well, yeah, I just, you know, throw some up on the on the bushes and wrap yeah, yeah. some around the palm tree. And she wanted to put them, like, you know, kind of on the eaves of the house and all that, which Got I will it. say the McAllisters have good, good, good uh, very so good Christmas good. lights. They, but they strike me as the kind of people that would probably do them professionally. Yeah, no um, way. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, my mom just wasn't, like, my shit was always wrinkled, right? So... And my grandma was like oh, this great folder and I was just, maybe I was just persnickety or type A about it, but I started doing my laundry when I was like probably in sixth or seventh grade. Um, probably knew how to do it before then, but yeah. So that's a confession. Same here, but it was because, so I like babysat the summer going into seventh grade, had my own money, bought like cool clothes for the first time ever. And I was like, my sister is going to this and she's going to wear it and it's going to get lost in the wash and maybe like it'll get shrunk if I don't wash it myself I have to know how I have to do this myself so it was more just like a greed thing on my part I was like I don't want any of this to get misplaced and I don't want anyone else to be able to touch it so I just did it myself (laughs) what about you you said high school high school I think I mean I I think a similar deal like eventually your parents you get tired of like the waiting for the cycle of like oh yeah. I want my parents to do my laundry I want to wear my <laughs> favorite things and so I'm just gonna learn I'm like my mom I remember kind of marched me downstairs it was like all right here's what you do but I I wouldn't have been you know I certainly would have been seventh grade I would have been probably 15 16 I mean with, with unlike yourself TZ a lot of boys like uh they're gonna be a little bit more, you know, reluctant somehow, I think, especially They're like if, in college. Yeah. So I mean, I had guys- a friend, I had a roommate in college whose mom would literally like through junior, senior year, come over, pick up his laundry, do laundry, oh bring it God. back folded. And that was, there was no like dream at all that he was going to do, even though we literally had washer dryer in our house, which was like yeah. rare for a lot of college places. He wasn't touching that. So yeah, I'm, I'm convinced, uh, I'm convinced like Neil didn't, I don't even think Neil did his, his laundry in college. Like Neil, you could fold up Neil's clothes in a ball, roll them up in a ball and he would have worn them like all the way growing up. And then even in college, like I think, I think his girlfriend probably did his laundry for him. I, I have a buddy who I don't think he's, I still don't think he knows how to do laundry or, or do the dishes or anything. It's crazy. Maybe it was when Neil got that pinstripe suit, the DiMaggio suit. He started taking things seriously when he was doing those job things. You know, I was at the Kill House one night. Uh, when I was down in Jack's for some, I think a Jack's story, and Neil was like doing laundry. Uh, he was he folding his laundry very nicely in the living room. Wow! There. We, yeah, so I remember we were talking about Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so he must have learned along the way to be like, all right, I'm very particular about what, what my laundry needs to be. Huh. Um, all right, laundry diversion. Uh, well, TZ, that was when, probably when he became the merch star. He had to. He yeah, had that's to that's right. <laughs> to really think about you know how these things yeah. worked. All right, when Kate is trying to get home to Kevin. She says to to someone whatever she that she has taken the Paris Dallas Scranton, <laughs> hopefully Chicago. Well, if she never gets the connection, uh, I, I thought I wanted to ask you guys this: What is the craziest connection that you guys have ever taken? I have two stories, and the backstory to this is that I did not grow up traveling. So for my first eighteen months at Golf.com, like there was just a disaster every time I tried to fly. So the first one is I knew nothing about travel. And Dylan is 
coaching me through this, but he's in Seattle. He says, you need to find an airline to be loyal to. You can get points. I'm like, awesome. What do you use for an airline? He says, Alaska Airlines. So I say, perfect. I sign up for Alaska <laughs> Airlines. So this I, is great chapter on stuff right here. Thank you. I sign up for Alaska Airlines and every layover I have, I live in Boston, is in Seattle. So I go. <laughs> and not only car, that, you're flying like Boston to Seattle. So that's like a six hour flight. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going. And my coworkers are getting places like seven yeah. hours before me. And they're like, Claire. And I'm having 14, 15 hour travel days. I'm going from Boston to Seattle to Phoenix. There's a direct flight on Delta to Boston to Phoenix. And I'm going to Seattle. I have this app and it shows you the most air, like what airports you've been to the most times. After and I stopped doing this a year and a half ago. After Boston Logan, it's Seattle. I've been there like 14 <laughs> times. And then I did um I was going to the Lake Tahoe thing. So you have to go to Reno. And again, I went to Seattle first. And it was literally a 17-hour travel day. So that is my first horrible thing. And, and going going back east, you did the same thing. Like so you would be taking oh, yeah. like so a red stupid. eye home, but you would you would fly to Seattle first and then <laughs> and my coworkers start like yelling at me and I'm like no it's that's a lot and he's like I didn't say Alaska I said Alaska works for me but then the <laughs> other one I did was so we were at it was two years ago last week actually we were at Pinehurst for this top 100 teacher conference and I I kept having to switch my flights and I had like a layover at that point I figured out maybe not but I <laughs> see how to Pinehurst no just kidding so um but I switched my flight like four times and I thought I was just switching it and not like fully rebooking a new flight. And so we're on like this 15th hole on number nine at Pinehurst. And I keep start getting texts like your plane is now boarding. And I'm like, that's weird. I'll just not pay attention <laughs> to do it. And then like 40 minutes later, your plane is now boarding. And I had booked like four flights out. of. I found this screenshot. <laughs> Hold on. It's so bad. <laughs> Look at my calendar that day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> And I like go up to Sean and Sean's like, he he was like, not, he had no patience for us. Cause I do this stuff all the time. And Dylan's like, let's call Delta and let's see. And they're like, not answering. He's like, listen, I have to enjoy the last three holes here. And they, my, my bosses were like, expense the most expensive one. And you're just going to have to, this will be a lesson learned. So wow. since then I haven't had any massive oh. mistakes, but there have been some really bad ones. <laughs> I did double book myself earlier this year. I'm coming back from, uh, Coming back from the UK and I was like, basically I I just had to get from Glasgow to London and then I had a direct from London to LA and I double booked myself on British Airways and like, they're not like, you, you are not getting a refund from BA under any circumstances or anything. And not only that, you're not talking to a human being, Yeah, you know, you're like sending in a paper request or whatever, but uh, as far as the craziest kind of layover or, uh, you know, connection story, my wife and I were going out, this is February, this is January, February, 2020. We're going to Telluride. So we're, so we're flying Jack's to Houston, Houston to Montrose, Colorado. And there's a, this crazy line of thunderstorms from like the middle of the Gulf of Mexico all the way to say Louisville or Cincinnati like in we're supposed to be on this little regional jet like this CRJ from 
Jacks to Houston, but we can't like we can't go south of the storm because the jet the, the jet's not rated to go over water. Really, they're like you know large bodies of water, and we couldn't go north because the storm was so long. So they're like, and there's so many like everybody like nobody on the flights going to Houston. Everybody's got connections beyond that. So they finally they're like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna fly to St. Louis, and we're gonna refuel in St. Louis. And then we're going to go to Houston after St. Louis. And, you know, we're going to be two or three hours late, but at least everybody, you know, there's, there's more flights or whatever. There's a lot of flights delayed that day out of Houston. So we just, so we land in St. Louis, refuel, fly down to Houston. And then I, so I, I get on the United app. I book Houston to Austin, Austin to Tulsa, Tulsa <laughs> to Denver, Denver to Montrose. I think it ended oh up being like God. six legs and we ended up getting, cause they basically said to us at the gate in Jacksonville, they're like, if you don't get on this flight and I was like, just get us to Houston because yeah. there was no way that we were, we were, it was like a three or four day ski trip we were going to take. And yeah. this was on a Saturday morning. And if we didn't get, the, get out on Saturday, we weren't going to get there till Monday. Mm. And it would have kind of defeated. And like my parents had come in to watch the kids and everything. And I was like, we're getting, or it was just <laughs> Freddie at that point. It was like, we're getting, at least halfway there and we ended up getting there they lost our luggage uh all that but it was it was like they would lose it on the six legs well, well yeah they told us they're like hey your luggage isn't gonna arrive it ends up arriving the next day which was fine we we're like hey like that's totally fine but yeah i think it was the first time anybody ever connected in tulsa to go you know <laughs> anywhere but like i like like i've done it before too where like i've been flying home from I think LA or San Francisco and I needed a segment. So I've like, I've connected in, in, I've connected in Sun Valley, Idaho before, and I've connected in Aspen before. Wow. wow. Which are, that's just sicko behavior though. <laughs> I, I need to go backwards just for a sec. Claire, how long did it take you to realize that like the Seattle connections <laughs> was like probably a poor idea? Okay, you must have been getting all sorts of status. Oh on, my on, God. On, uh, Alaska. I'm like royalty yeah. when I go, well, that was the other thing. Like I wasn't even looking at other airlines i was just like you know you can look at google flights and it tells mm-hmm. you i would just go to alaska airlines and <laughs> just type in where i needed to be and i was like oh through seattle again and i remember it became a joke because i have a couple cousins who live there and so i'd send them a photo every time i was in seattle and they were like why are you always here and i was like oh you know traveling so much for this new job going all across <laughs> the country <laughs> that's like not the easiest airport to connect at either there's all yeah, sorts of it's not a, I don't know, I, but I will say Alaska is like the highest rated airline for how friendly the staff is, the seats, how comfortable they are. But I just remember it was always, if Dylan and I were traveling together, I was like, all right, I'll let, I'm landing in Seattle at like this hour and then he'll get on the next flight and we'll travel together to the next, <laughs> which makes absolutely no sense. But when I, yeah, it probably took me like eight or nine months. The, and then I couldn't tell anyone. So he didn't say there. anything to you when, when like, he, <laughs> he knew kept that showing up in Seattle. <laughs> was he like, what the hell are you doing on my flight? <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't say anything. It was, I was kind of in the back and I used to take like anxiety medicine to fly. So I would be so out of it anyways, that I just be like, all right, seven hours to get there. And then I have four more. Like, it's fine. Um, and I would just be like in a, like totally like kind of asleep for half of it anyways. So it didn't totally matter. But now when I get places in like three hours, it just feels like such a treat because it used to have to be like you put in your time. Hours. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
So, so it, first of all, so it was always Seattle. It was never because oh, like they've got hubs at Portland, San yep. Francisco, San Diego, and directs from Boston to there too, right? It was always Seattle. Always Seattle. So. That is incredible. We may have to have <laughs> Dylan share on uh, and, and sort of put him on trial for poorly mentoring We were talking you. about it like yesterday or something. And I asked him because we were talking about some travel mistake. And I was like, that's got to be the worst one. He was like, I think the only thing worse than the Alaska thing is the Pioneers thing. But I think the Alaska Airlines thing is the worst. So, but, uh, so going back to Home Alone here, KBV, because I also want to hear yours because I'm sure you got some crazy ones, is why – all right, so she's going from Paris – to so she went where paris to dallas okay so like you know she could have gone paris to london but then dallas is an american hub right and dallas like i think scranton's only like three out i think scranton's like 11 10 or 11 hours from chicago whereas dallas is like 13 to drive and dallas to chicago would be an american hub i cannot believe they couldn't get her on a flight from dallas to Chicago or, or even love love field to Midway. That's true. Yeah. You know, or Milwaukee or, you know, how long has love uh, been in existence? So was love, you know, a, a big functioning airport in 1990. Actually, that's true. Cause love was what that, that was like, I think they could only use it for intra Texas flights, I think for a while Southwest could. And then the, you know, yeah. You know, again, this, this might be, Although I guess 1990, this is well after deregulation and everything as well. So I don't know. I'll get back to you on that. Okay. This I don't think anyone has ever examined Home Alone this way. So I'm proud of us for uh, discussing this. I your guys' stories make me feel a little bit uh, like I don't have a great one. I one my ex wife's mother turned 60. Uh, she we we took a family trip to St. Bart's, which if you've ever been to St. Bart's, like requires. Uh, you know, been to St. Bart's requires a bunch of connections. <laughs> so my uncle was getting married in uh, Pocatello, Idaho, like lay a day after our family vacation. And my, my ex-wife really wanted me to come to this family vacation because it had been booked for like, you know, a year. And so my father kind of figured out a way for me to get from St. Bart's to Pocatello, which required me to fly from St. Bart's to St. Martin, from then from St. Martin to JFK. From JFK to Vegas, and then I slept on the floor of the Las Vegas airport, and then I flew from there to Salt Lake City, and then I drove from Salt Lake City to Pocatello. That How was, long did this take? I, it had to take 24 hours, essentially. I mean, it was yeah. like, uh, my dad is is very insane. He loves to like try to gimmick the system and try to, so I'm sure like I, you know, I was on different airlines. I'm certain. I mean, why else would I have had to sleep on the floor of the Las Vegas yeah. airport for four hours uh, and then go to Salt Lake? But, you know, it was like that was the only way to make the ticket in any way reasonable. But my mom was like, you have to get him here. I don't care, like, how we're going to do it. And so I'm sure my dad didn't even entirely inform my mom of, like, what was going on. Uh, but he was like, yeah, this is this will work. You just uh, figure out. My dad would, like, often – he would book flights and then you it would be on another airline. But there wouldn't be enough time to, like, leave – the um thing and go back through security so he'd be like just go up to like if you get off of the southwest flight or whatever and it's a united flight just go over to the gate and tell them that you lost your uh boarding pass or whatever and then they'll print out another one for you right there and then you can just get on the thing so i'm sure you know we violated all kinds of security protocols that way st bart's to pocatello that's uh yeah. that's wild uh guys just looking here this was subject to the right amendment which 
stated mm. that Southwest had kind of exclusivity at Love Field and they could only fly to neighboring states and uh, and Texas. So Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico from from Love Field up until like the the mid 90s. So after this was filmed. Gotcha. So Love Field would not have been an option for uh, it feels like TC to, to pivot here from it's a good time to talk about Ed and Irene. Uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, yes. the top of the, how, how cold hearted are these people? I mean, we learned that an eight year old child has been left alone. He can't be contacted. We have a panicky mother. And <laughs> she's Kate is offering two first class tickets, a ring, a fake Rolex, some <laughs> earrings in exchange. And they get an extra day out of France out of it, at least an extra day, maybe two. Uh, and they're like still playing hardball right through the end. Wasn't there like a pocket organizer or something? Yes, like a pocket that? a pocket translator uh, as well, uh, which would have been you know huge. They're the earrings, the dangly ones. Yes, if you remember correctly. It did say she had a whole box full of those. That that's my whole thing is like you know, Irene is trying to make the case that they should do this through the you know, what she's offering. And it's like, do you have any room in your heart to just yeah. help her out? Like it's, you can't mind, have it's Christmas ways, and I their mean. vacation is over at this point. It's not like they're missing out yeah. on any additional vacation. Yeah. You know what? And like American, again, they could have been like, Hey, you know what? We're going to offer a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks or $2,000. If somebody will give up their seat, you know, and they don't. Yeah. American really has some things to answer for after this film. I think. <laughs> this is kind of a disgrace, DC. I, I didn't know that we were going to get into this with American, but you know, this may have been a Trojan horse for you to criticize. This American is back this before show. American was like even a bad airline. Like this is back when they had a good first class premium product. This is pre U.S. Air merger. Yeah. You got to They'll take good care of you. Yeah. Well, they, they were so premium that Frank said that they should steal the crystal to his wife. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so. In your purse. What is your purse? I, I want to just ask a question generally. How did Kevin McAllister become like a military grade sniper? Like, is is this uh, the product of just being like you know beat down by your? It was Buzz teaching him out of this. Does he go to some sort of like weapons school? I mean, it, it's crazy that he's he just picks up Buzz's gun and he's just blowing away action figures uh, right and left. That might be the answer to our our what sports thing. Maybe he's on like the mm. biathlon team. That's a great call. That's why he can run so well, and he doesn't. He's used <laughs> to running with poles, or whatever. He's used to skiing. Did he play Did video think? games, or was he just watching movies? No could, video. Does games, he play right? video games? I don't think he I don't plays think video he does. games. There. I was gonna say like the modern kid would be on Call of Duty or something, mm. kind of hone that skill in a little bit, maybe. But yeah, yeah, duck hunt maybe. I played a lot of Duck Hunt. 1990 was this was this like the original Nintendo? I would think original Nintendo f- would think. I mean, it's pre Atari or post Atari, right? As the kind of yeah, gaming pre Sega, maybe yeah, pre Nintendo. You got to think the McAllisters would have had like six con- like gaming consoles of some yeah. kind. You know, oh, yeah. every kid gets their own. I don't. I was wondering, and, and if maybe- then whenever they would get a new one, they would just move it up to the attic. Hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I was wondering, was like, this is Chris Kyle's origin story, like American Sniper. Like he just gets abused and beaten down by his family, and then feels like he has to protect the innocent from then on. That just goes on to Iraq and record kills. And we'll have to talk to Cody about that. When Kevin meets up with old man Marley in the church, this is kind of the emotional heart of the film. My wife and I were watching this the other night, and uh, we both kind of teared up a little bit. We hadn't seen Home Alone in many years. 
Uh, really love this scene. Love love this actor. What do you guys remember about this this scene? Why do you think it sort of ends up being the heart of the film? Apparently, it wasn't originally in the original script. What song was playing in the church? Oh, was it? That's a good question. I do not know. I'll look it up. Is it Old Holy Night? Maybe. I think so. Mm-hmm. I feel like Old Man Marley might be kind of a maybe foreshadowing of Peter McAllister and Kevin. Mm. Yeah, I never never thought of that, TC. Their their grievances uh, needed to be brought back, you know, put put aside and brought back together. Yeah, although maybe you know, although it like it, it doesn't seem like Peter even cares enough to argue. Mm. So that could be part of it too, where you know Peter might not even be like just he might not care enough about his family to to even get into an argument with Kevin. Yeah, I just think uh, you know, obviously there's the sort of larger reflection of like you should put aside your issues with your family you should sort of you know be able to love them you shouldn't push them away uh but i don't know that's a, that's just always a nice a, a nice way for a writer in some ways to connect a larger theme without being super overt about it you know right it's just kind of bring in a secondary character uh also i think that old man marley totally has killed people before he, he wields that shovel way too efficiently it's in the salt yeah yeah maybe he was, I love him. he was awesome but maybe he was in nam maybe you know yeah, maybe he was in korea maybe probably when he more. was younger maybe he was a wet bandit when he was younger and just kind of oh, grew out yeah. of it well i would definitely go into battle with old man marley uh i just curious what do you guys think that they were arguing about because i was sort of like him, him and his son i was thinking maybe like the bears you know some sort Live of conflict versus over the tour. yeah definitely um, that too yeah. i bet she like married some guy or something that she uh, didn't like that he didn't like yeah. I mean, you know, like just thinking about the time frame, it could have been, yeah, certainly anything with the McCaskey family and the Bears, or maybe it was the original schism between the PGA of America and the PGA Tour. <laughs> oh, he was, yeah, he was a massive PGA of America guy. Yeah, <laughs> I can see Old Man Marley wanting to make sure that you know kids learn the game the right way, and yeah. all this money is corrupting the game. It's disgusting individuals. Yeah. <laughs> well, Going back to your John Hughes question, like I think just thinking back to all these indelible kind of iconic scenes like even old man marley walking around with the shovel and the the whole trash can full of salt or when marvin harry you know the house is flooding and, and they put him up against the the door and it looks like they've got him like there's just he does such a good job of like the like iconic truly iconic scenes and you know or even kevin like in front of the the, the uh, van where you know they they almost run him over like there's just right, so the many throws, yeah. yeah it's like everything is just so well done and they figure out how to make each moment feel so singular i think the thing I, old man marley like makes me it's funny to me that like old man marley didn't like share the fact that he just beat the shit out of these criminals like that he didn't tell you know that the family doesn't really know what's going on kevin has cleaned up the house in this pristine way and old man marley's just kind of like yeah you know you could go on and do your thing kid like great job like he's just kind of fades back to his life it's some superhero shit kevin's kind of an old soul you know a lot of kids would have yeah we've done a tiktok about this or or, (laughs) you know try to get a movie deal or something like that kevin just goes back to you know doing his thing and nobody knows that he's just this this quiet hero you know yeah let's uh get to the sort of the the big you know assault on the house the kevin sort of you know, prepping and everything. What is your favorite uh, trap that Kevin sets? What what makes you smile when you see it even still, Claire, every Christmas? Oh, geez. I think the classic one is the hot, the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's the one 
this one always freaked me out when he's going up to the attic and then yes. the stuff falls down and then that one freaks the, me the, out uh, the tool most. chest or yeah. the, one, yeah. the swinging barbell I don't, I, yeah i guess I, i'm getting them confused but both of them i kind of am always like oh like do they show it it's like the ear piercing scene and um parent trap where i'm like i have to look away i've probably never actually seen that full thing but i think the hot door just like them because you have to laugh at it and it kind of happens twice with both guys um yeah i guess those but all of them is the is the laundry shoot one i like the scene of him like setting it up but i don't know if that's the, with the iron uh he he like puts the the like it's a, like a light bulb so the lights go out and then yeah. he pulls the light chain down and yeah. then the, the iron hits him in the in the face yeah uh, which you I know, know i i gotta say that iron really didn't connect with his face long enough to leave an actual yeah. like you know permanent like iron pressing burn mark but you know obviously suspension of disbelief Theatric. Guess, whatever yeah, yeah that's one of my favorite quotes and all he smashed his face with an iron <laughs> like, I, like i love the blowtorch Blowtorch, blow oh yeah, especially because it just singes the just the that top of his head, and it's you know the hat is kind of burned on around. Uh, the feathers is always a really good okay. uh, touch from him as well. You know the Christmas ornaments, I love when he sets those out, but the nail is iconic when he the nail. I always have to look away. The nail yeah. that's <laughs> the one where I I just can't can't. I guess just imagine a nail going through my own foot. Maybe that's. It's power, but oh man, that's. Is it Kevin. in one or two that that Marv, like, there's some like I feel like they get hurt even worse in two, right? When I like he, the I mean, he's falling like two. three yeah, stories true. under. Yeah, but like the it's in one right where he does the Marv gets electrocuted, or is that in two? I think it's two, right? And you can like see his skull. The, yeah, yeah. yeah, like he's got all the paint all over him. Yeah, and then he gets that's, two, yeah. that's I think that's my favorite of all of them. So good. I, the one thing I did wonder is like you know, it Kevin like set up an obviously like a you know a Rube Goldberg type machine of different traps because like if if Marv doesn't go through the basement first of all and lose his shoes, then he doesn't going through the window and stepping on the glass Christmas ornaments doesn't really mean anything. But obviously, Kevin you know had a plan. And and executed it effectively, uh, you know, complete with the, the zip line escape and such. But you know that the, the ornaments on the by the Christmas tree wouldn't have wouldn't have mattered at all unless he suddenly wear it wasn't wearing shoes. So it's quite the bold play by Kevin, I must say, in that sense. Uh, do you think if if Kevin had like you know literally like melted Joe Pesci's face off, uh, would it was possible he'd be charged with murder? I mean, like what what kind of like district attorney are we thinking was looking here and like. The, in illinois at this point what do you think what kind of standard ground laws do you think were effective in 1990 in illinois this could be Lori lightfoot's chicago you know <laughs> uh you know or nor the daily crime family uh no yeah yeah i mean it's kind of like there was a lawsuit a while back right about some some intruder that fell on a knife and and oh, hurt himself and the i think the homeowner got sued Interesting. Uh, under like tort law, and and it was you know I think the homeowner was liable for really the guy. Yeah, it's crazy. Which you know he, he, I I will say this is it's a pretty Tony suburb, um, but yeah, you just gotta you gotta wonder about the DA up there. You yeah. know, early nineties okay. TBD. I think. Yeah, that's a good thought. All right, uh, all right, Claire. Would you rather ride from Scranton to Milwaukee with John Candy's polka band in the back of a U-Haul, or spend one hour with Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley listening to them talk about, uh, you know, cryptocurrency and the structure of future tour and I don't know, like 
Keegan Bradley's wardrobe. Like, tell me, like, what what do you what scenario would you prefer with golfers uh, that you could think of that would be so? Uh, yeah. I'm picking the ride from Scranton to Milwaukee 10 out of 10 times because right. I feel like I'm dying when I'm in the middle of a boring conversation. <laughs> and I think it would feel like 10 hours either way, right? Okay. Because That's I didn't want to be I, sitting there for one hour would feel like 10 to me. And I would just be that was like my version of torture, just sitting with a conversation that I don't want to talk about and that I find boring. I remember who was I with and they were talking about the lawsuits and I like just got up and like left the table for like 20 <laughs> minutes. And I was like, this is so boring. <laughs> so yes, and cryptocurrency and that stuff is boring to me. Maybe I probably just don't understand it. But <laughs> No, I don't understand it either. So we, Solly's the only one who claims to understand it and we all just kind of glaze over whenever he talks about it. You see, what's the most boring golf related conversation that you could think of and come up with? Oh, and it's just like, yeah. So what do you think about all this list? Like I, I just had it 20, 25 times over Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. How about all this live stuff? Yeah, man. I don't know. Like, can we talk about something else? Uh, KVV, I will say the it's a budget rental car or mm. budget truck, not U-Haul. Oh yeah. Sorry. Great product placement there. Yeah. I would love to be in that, in that, in that box truck <laughs> there. It kind of reminds me every time. I see this movie. It kind of reminds me of, of Jason bone was on the NLU podcast a few years That's ago right. after he, God. after he won the million dollars with the hole in one, uh, he, he was telling that story and he and his buddies rode down from Alabama, from uh, Tuscaloosa down to new Orleans for Mardi Gras. And they, and they just put all this furniture in this box truck and just got absolutely smashed the whole way down, hung out, you know, in, in inner city, new Orleans, like basically living in this box truck for three or four or five days. And then I just think of that every time I see this scene. Yeah. At They're all facing in too, right? In yeah. The, yeah. Like that yeah. seems fun to me. That's so much more <laughs> yeah. fun than a regular car. <laughs> it's true. As long as you're like, you know, can hold on to the wall or something. If the car, yeah, yeah. you don't want to like sway forward and smash your face. But yeah. I, I, what is John Candy's polka band's name? I can't remember. I did. I should have written it down, but they seem like they've seen some shit. Like they've, They've lived a life, you know. He's talking about God didn't see his family anymore. They're, they're the most records they ever sold is like six hundred, and but they're they're dedicated <laughs> to their craft. It was you got to respect it. It was the the uh, Kenosha Kickers. That's right. Okay, I would wear. I would have. He's a, he's Gus Gus Polinski. Gus Polinski. I would love a Kenosha Kickers like head cover or <laughs> some, yeah. something like that. That I, I would definitely throw that in my bag for sure. All right, so, so we're coming down to the end here. Uh, we'll, we'll just pick your favorite scene in this film. What do you think comes down to it? What, do, what was your sort of stick the landing here? It'd be like the most important scene to me. It's like for me, it just comes down to all these different quotes, whether it's Uncle Frank, like some of the one-liners he says, or, uh, you know, even in Home Alone 2 when – when he asks, what kind of idiots do you have working here? And he says, the finest in New York, sir. <laughs> like when, <laughs> when Uncle Frank calls him, get out of here, you little pervert. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, those, like it just, it just comes down to all these little, or like the, the little scene in the, in the local grocery store market where he's buying all this stuff. And the lady's like, how old are you? Are you, are you allowed to be here right now? Or when he asked the, the, uh, 
the lady like is this toothbrush certified by the American Dental American Association? Dental Association. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love I love just all those. It's great. I like when um they finally realize on the flight that they didn't have Kevin and the uncle's like, if it makes you feel any better, I forgot my reading glasses. And then in the second one, my favorite movie line of all time is when he says, he's like two scoops, sir. And he's like, make it three. I'm not driving. It's yeah, so yeah. good. Is that how the scoop podcast got invented? Is it clear? Is just, I'm such an ice cream gal. So Love I think that's also probably why I like that uh, line so much. Nice. I, I would have to say on the flight too, when like when she says, uh, Uncle Frank's trying to console her or whatever, and he's horrible, horrible, <laughs> horrible. I would have to go when Kevin mimics the the angels with what's the movie Angels oh. with Broken Souls, whatever. Angels with and, filthy souls, filthy yeah. souls, and he doesn't keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> like I, such an unbelievable uh, sort of you know reading of that line. It's my favorite. Uh, it's the one that stuck with me, other than. The aftershave scene the most. Uh, I'd say one other one. I mean, there's so many, there's so many quotes. But like, when the kid, when, when the neighbor kid's going through, he's like, "What kind of gas mileage does this thing have?" <laughs> I hear the McAllisters are going to France. I hear they don't shave their <laughs> armpits there. <laughs> you know that, or or uh, in the second one, uh, I think it's the second one when they're doing the like they realize Kevin's not with them and they're at I think it's at baggage claim right mm-hmm. and. They're passing the luggage. Kevin's not here. Kevin's not here. Kevin's not here. And it's like the telephone back to yeah. Kevin. <laughs> All right. Some cleanup here, guys. You know, we, we kind of touched on this earlier, but is there any chance that like Peter McAllister is in the mob? Like that he's not even a yes. legit businessman, that he's just kind of laundering money through various things. You know, there, he doesn't doesn't seem to have any kind of, you know, job. He's carrying a lot of cash, obviously, uh, to pay for pizzas. Uh, very real chance that this is like the Sopranos, you know, soft pilot or origin story <laughs> like spencer that was one of the theories that he went with he's like kevin is the star of the series because he's the one true heir of the McAllister crime empire's throne like he, yeah. you know, like it's like buzz is kind of the the uh you know the muscle kind of the thuggish uh character here you know peter's kind of the money guy uncle frank might be the the real criminal mastermind though you know interesting this is a real Peaky Blinders situation now that I think about it. Maybe the McAllisters are, are actually the inspiration for Peaky Blinders. Um, I, you know, there's a couple of third loose ends that I found. Uh, Fox News got real upset a couple of years ago. It said that this uh, that the scene in the grocery the like grocery store sort of explains inflation because Kevin's able to buy like ninety dollars worth of groceries for like nineteen dollars. I, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but uh, I found a, a Reddit page dedicated to Home Alone, which I would highly encourage you visit. But they actually pointed out that Heather counts herself twice in the counting of it, even though the neighbor kid is part of the problem that Heather, she counts herself once and then counts herself later. So I feel like Heather is an underrated element in all this, that she is a big part of the reason possibly why Kevin gets left behind. Doesn't ever meet her reckoning in this. So, Yeah, it was overlooked because she's young. Feel free to point that out, Claire. The family watch. You can use all this (laughs) to... Uh, who right, who said that Kevin, Kevin, you're such a disease? Which sister was that? Oh, the, the, kind of the redhead one, right? Or is that or the one that, that the said cousin? in France you that's called? What, uh, yeah, that's that one. Interesting. Um, I don't know. The, the, the McAllister siblings, they're going to spend some time in therapy, I think. Yeah. It's just a tough look for a lot of them. 
I don't think they are because they're all like craving. That's true. Like, they probably will never go to therapy. Anything of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, they have spent much of their childhood getting robbed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? How did like, how, how is Kevin not like, how did defects not get involved? How does yeah. like, how, like after you leave Kevin the first time, like <laughs> there's not a second time you can't do that. Yeah. That's right? true. Well, they probably kept it under wraps. I mean, old man Marley should have really reported them to the family <laughs> services. You know, that's, it's a failure on his part too. That's why I listed him up and potential people who were to blame for this. It's as warm-hearted as he was, he really should have been looking out for the neighborhood kids. Just a thought. All right, guys, I want to close with uh, someone on the Reddit Home Alone page found the Playboy that Buzz has, the actual Playboy here. I don't know if you saw it in the agenda here. And and it, on the Playboy here, it says, you know, it's the broadcast nudes. Uh, was the thing I uh, Shelly Jameson? Who knows if Shelly went on to you know a, a further <laughs> career of bearing ourselves? But in the subhead of this, it says plus colon golf in all its glory. Uh, and so I, I got to think there was some golfer in this magazine uh, who was posing nude. Uh, <laughs> and I guess you know I'm, I'm just kind of curious what who do you think this could have possibly been? Uh, my vote was for Nick Faldo. Uh, he had won two majors the prior year and or two majors in 1990. So perhaps that we don't know that Nick Faldo was was had did one of the Playboy interviews and posed nude in this magazine. I, I just was shocked to find another golf connection in this film that very minor, but uh, thanks to Reddit, we we're able to un- unearth. It says interview with Barry Diller as yeah, well, and it says a and then, Vietnam vet gets straight talk from <laughs> Afghan vets. Which, all right, so that's that's a question I have. This is 1990. Yeah, we didn't. We there was no war in Afghanistan. There was. There was Afghan, there was a Soviet war, but mm-hmm. like, and we armed them, but we didn't go in there. Is yeah, that we were, that's weird? right. That is a little weird. I don't know. Maybe, uh, I mean, we're going to look foolish to the foreign policy uh, wonks here. Maybe we should have brought Cody in for this part because he probably could have explained like what exactly was going on. Or maybe, honestly, TC, though, you got to think about it from a world perspective. Maybe like one of the soldiers from Afghanistan was in there, like, you know, getting it wasn't necessarily an American sort of discussion. That's it was, true. You know, That's true. It could have been the British were messing around in Afghanistan. It's hard to know exactly. It, it's hand up, was, hand up there. Yeah. All right. Uh, any closing thoughts, anything you will, will, will remember from this uh, home alone rewatch experience? It's a good time of year to do it. Cause now mm-hmm. I'm like eager to watch it again. So that that's good. <laughs> yeah. Easy. I think for me, it was, it was, looking into a how home on three was ever greenlit and how mm-hmm. it's just such a stain on you know because two like two is one of the rare sequels that actually lives up to it's like die hard right which mm-hmm. i would argue die hard is also a christmas movie yeah. um or die hard two which die hard original is a christmas movie die hard the original is one i think die hard two's set around the holidays too isn't it i think Die Hard two is in the summer uh isn't is it I thought no, it was a, no because they go to Dulles and it's snowy and snowy. all that. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Maybe we're gonna have to do a um, diehard perfect club. This is this is a tough yeah. look for us. But it's I don't know. It's one of those things where Home Alone three was was awful, and then I think he did the. I've never seen Home Sweet Home Alone. That's the sixth I guess installment of the Home Alone franchise. So what's the <laughs> fifth and sixth or the fourth and fifth ones then? I don't know. There, I think they're like direct to VHS or direct to. Okay. Direct when do the characters switch though like after two right or it was after, after two three? and that's the mm-hmm. thing i never like, watched they're I only terrible watched villains in three the kid's not dynamic at all 
Yeah. The, and it's all about some like, it's kind of like, uh, what is that? Jingle all the way. It's, it's like this stupid computer chip thing that's in this mm. remote control car. It's just not like it's, it's a stain on John Hughes legacy, I think. So Home Alone, Kevin McAllister is in Home Alone 4, although it is not played by Macaulay Culkin. So I don't know if you're, it is the same oh. character, but then they switch up the actors. Now I will right. say this. I, I was aware in doing my research for this podcast, I looked up Home, Home Sweet Home Alone and saw that our friend Tim Simmons is in that film. Uh, and so I invited him to come along and talk about this and he respectfully declined. <laughs> so uh, we, we can't exactly get the dish on Home Sweet Home Alone just yet but perhaps in the future i will spring it on him in a future perfect club uh and, and ask him to defend uh that this franchise in general kvv one other question for you have you ever seen a furnace like that Ooh. in the basement you know what now that you mention it my grandparents in great falls montana had a very old very scary furnace <laughs> and i went down they had this huge house uh, and I, I, the basement was always this very scary, like unfinished, like brick walls, uh, kind of place. And I remember sneaking down there a couple times as a kid and being kind of freaked out and feeling like the furnace, I don't, maybe from this film that it was its own kind of living thing. I, I, I'm going to have some nightmares tonight, TC, just <laughs> thinking about this. So thank you for that. But yeah. Not no furnaces obviously look very different now, but uh, man, they yeah. Basements are just scary. Like your parents' basement, unless it was finished or something. But I remember yeah. going down to the basement and coming up as quickly as humanly possible if I needed to get something. Like it was just dark yeah. and yeah. yeah. There probably wasn't and, and, with and like you don't want to turn your lights off before yeah before you get up the stairs right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, see, my my kids are never going to know that because we don't have <laughs> like I live in Florida. Right. We don't have basements. Are there any basements in Florida, TC, or is it do you got to be like super wealthy to have a basement that just wouldn't wouldn't be penetrated by you know hurricanes? <laughs> I, don't even, I don't think it's a matter of wealth. Like, I, think there's, <laughs> I mean, I think if, probably if you're built up on like a sand dune or okay, I would imagine there's probably some in the central part of the state. Like, there's a big mm. sand vein that kind of runs up through Orlando and stuff. Or maybe up in the panhandle, there's some. But yeah, I mean, anywhere near the coast, no way. No chance. I once got a a very polite but somewhat scolding letter from a reader when I was writing for the Baltimore Sun because I had gone to the Dominican Republic and written about Sammy Sosa's kind of upbringing when the Orioles had that sort of horrendous season with Sosa. They had traded for him. Uh, and I sort of said that he – I guess I misunderstood – the Spanish interpretation. We had an interpreter with us and I had taken like high school Spanish and college Spanish. So I kind of thought that I was maybe a little bit cocky that I was sort of understanding and then explaining about like where Sosa grew up. I thought they said like he grew up in a basement sort of apartment in the Dominican Republic. And somebody wrote me, and was like, Oh, Kevin, like there's no, there's no basements in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> how, how like, dare you, you? Yeah. You, you really need to do a little reading on this one, but uh, yeah. So all right. Well, I think that concludes another perfect club. I, guys, I really enjoyed this. I've appreciated uh, you guys encouraged uh, me to go back and watch Home Alone. Claire, I hope you'll take some of this uh, info that you learned armed to, to your family or any all oh, 30 uh, of your family and you'll be able to, <laughs> to pepper them with various things uh, coming Absolutely. Forward. And thank you for having me on. This is so much fun. You betcha. We're going to have you back at some point. So you think, <laughs> think hard about 
what what other things that you are obsessed of that would uh, okay perfect work and we'll bring you do you have access to to your travel records from (laughs) okay yeah wait this is an app that i think i want to be sponsored by because all i do is talk about it it's called app in the air do you guys have this there's probably a million yeah. like it, but it imports all your flights from your email, like, and it backdates them all too. So I have yeah. a map. Wow. Do you know about the CTC? It's in the so air? cool. App in the air. It's free. But you can see that I, Seattle's over here. Hold up. <laughs> there, there's a bunch of little lines coming out of Seattle to go to other places down here. <laughs> I would just love to see that like a catalog or, or, you know, all the flights that you took for however long that was Yeah. To, just to see how outrageous these point to points were. <laughs> the weirdest uh, one I think is to Phoenix. The other ones bring me d- down to. Down to LA or San Diego. Yeah. Or, San Diego is one. Phoenix. God, that's incredible. I don't, so I don't bad. know if you're a big trap doll listener, but this is very much catnip for, uh, for DC. Yeah, like, he's he's like, fascinated so, so, by this. So nothing more outrageous than like, like you didn't fly from Boston to uh, Seattle to like Florida or Boston no. to Seattle to Atlanta. No, it was mostly like, like it was to get to the places in the Southeast. There might've been a Texas one, but I don't think so. So <laughs> bad. <laughs> I'm glad I realized it eventually because imagine if I was still doing that. Like get to New York by way of Seattle. (laughs) You should make it a bit, you know? Shit. We might have to have on the – My coworkers were like, this isn't funny. It needs to stop. Well, it's something too. Like, uh, you know, Alaska doesn't even fly into Jack's. If you came in for the players, you're like, well, shit, I guess I guess I got to fly into Seattle. can't do it. I got to drive from Tampa. (laughs) Well, that was the other thing. It was like I was flying and then – flying to where they the closest place they could get me and then i had to drive from there so i'd have like four hour drives which is ridiculous uh, such Seriously? a mess <laughs> I, wish, I wish that people could see tc's face that's right incredible now. <laughs> that's awesome just, no it's so bad because i <laughs> like for the first year i traveled there was like a colossal mistake every single time and now i've gotten to the point where it's not as bad but there was always just something that was so wrong. Like I had just, I would leave my like stupid things, like leave my phone and then go through check-in and then be like, where's my phone? Have to leave, check-in again. Like such a mess, but we are finally figured it out. Knock on wood. Are you, are you like a one airline woman these Delta days? Now. Delta now. Delta. Okay. I'll do okay. JetBlue if I need to, but Delta is my go-to, which makes okay. a lot more sense. Yeah, so you're probably you know, and you can get a lot of places on Delta from the Northeast, but you're probably Atlanta quite a bit as well. I fly direct as much as I can because it minimizes the chances for mistakes. Um, But yeah, so Atlanta is usually the one. Gotcha. All right. (laughs) Well, what what an unexpected delight to uh, have a lot of airline talk in this one. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for for tuning in. Uh, We'll be back, I think, in the new year with a couple perfect clubs that TC and I've been been cooking up, Uh, and I'm sure more airline talk. TC might have to invite Claire just in for a (laughs) guest spot. This is this is one of the more incredible stories of airline travel that I think we've ever had. Yeah. Which, yeah. Speaking of airlines too, I, I, you know, I ran into an air traffic controller at the coffee shop this morning, came up and he thanked me for, for my takes on the trap draw. And he said, he said, things aren't good right now, TC. 
it's it's bad. I don't know if you saw that New York Times feature uh, last week, but it's terrifying. So anyway, neither here nor there. We will we will do our airports pod uh, here in January. So Claire, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Craig on.